Thank you so much to our worship team, to Clara for playing today. Good again to be here in Jesus' name. Um, we live in a world of great unrest. Isn't it good to know, as we sang that last verse, uh, all is at rest. When we rest ourselves by faith in Jesus Christ, we can have peace and we can have rest. Well, I chose this message um, <clears throat> in almost my 40 years of ministry. I never spoke just on assurance. And so I thought it would be good. It's more of a topical uh, assurance of salvation. And so if you have your Bibles, if you turn to 1 John chapter 5, 10 through 13, and verse 13, all these verses have meant very much to me, uh, have given me great assurance over the years. And I've pointed these verses to countless people too. And we'll have an insert in your bulletin today if you want to take notes, you can do that as well. <clears throat> Starting at verse 10, the one who believes in the Son of God has a witness in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the witness that God is born concerning his Son. And the witness is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. I don't know about you, but I have <clears throat> met people who have absolute assurance of their salvation. I've also met people who are not sure of their salvation. They lack assurance. I've asked people, are you saved? And I've had people countless times say, well, I hope so. I think so. So they are obviously lacking assurance. But I've also met people who say, no one can be assured of salvation. Have you met people like that? I remember being in the hospital room one day and I was waiting to visit someone and there was a lady there and I was talking to her about the Lord and and I said, I'm so glad that I know that when I die I'll go to heaven. And she said, no one can know for sure. I said, oh yes, you can. So I, this is a portion that I turned to and directed it especially to verse 13 <clears throat> where the Bible says <clears throat> we can know um, our Salvation can be a no-so salvation, not a, I hope or I think, but we can know without a shadow of a doubt where we are spiritually. And I thought of that lady who said that no one can know for sure, and she said, until one dies. Or no one can be assured of salvation until we come to the day of judgment. Well, I don't want to wait till that day. Because when we come to that day when we die or when we stand before God on the day of judgment day and Jesus will carefully examine, <clears throat> the Bible says, our works, <clears throat> he will examine each individual and he will decide whether he or she will go to heaven or hell. But what if on that day of judgment you find that you are not right with God, that you are not saved, it would be too late then to get right with God. And we would be eternally lost in hell. 
And so the assurance of salvation is a very, first of all, a very practical topic. The assurance of salvation is a very practical topic. It is practical because if a person lacks assurance of whether he or she is saved, I believe that person also lacks joy and peace and effectiveness in Christian service. He or she cannot be a successful soul winner if that person is uncertain about their own soul's salvation. And then secondly, the assurance of salvation is also very important because in Revelation 20, verse 15, that if any man was not found written in the book of life, he was cast into the lake of fire. I remember hearing that as a young person, and I thought, is my name written there? (laughs) And how do you get your name there? I wanted to know because I didn't want to go to hell. I wanted to go to heaven. And so if our name is not written in the book of life, that one will be cast into the lake of fire. And so having the assurance of salvation firmly established in our minds is one of the most, is one of the most important ingredients for, I believe, facilitating spiritual growth. There is a great disadvantage to living the Christian life in a state of uncertainty about where you stand before God. And that uncertainty makes one very vulnerable, I believe, also to the attacks of Satan, the world, and our own flesh. And so we need to have it settled whether we belong to Christ or not. Am I saved? And do I have the assurance of salvation? So as we consider today the assurance of salvation, I would like to consider four kinds of people in the world in which we live. The first group consists of those who are not in a state of grace. They are not in a state of grace. They are unsaved. They stand outside the kingdom of God and they are unsaved and they know it. I've met people like that. My first church I served in Spicer, Minnesota, a young man by the name of Ron, he made it very clear to my wife and I that he was unsaved. And he didn't come to church very often. Once in a while he'd come to church, but we had many conversations with him. I shared the Lord with him, and he says, no, I'm unsaved. And he said, I, I know I'm going to go to hell. It's like, and his thinking of hell was that I'm going to be there with all my friends, and we're going to have one big party. <laughs> I said, Ron, you need to read the Bible. That's not what the Bible teaches, what hell is like. Hell is a place of eternal punishment. I said, Ron, you need Jesus. You need to get right with him. And when I went back about a month and a half ago, I had a chance to go back to Spicer and speak at the church where I first had my first call. And Ron was not there, but Ron still lives in the community. And he once in a while comes to church, but as far as... To this date, he has yet to come to know Christ. He's not in a state of grace. He is is unsaved and he knows it. The second group comprises those or consists of those who are in a state of grace and they know it. In other words, they are redeemed and they know it. They could say, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. (laughs) There's no doubt They know where they stand with God and they know where they're going. They have the assurance that I'm going to go to heaven because Jesus is my Savior. 
I remember growing up in McIntosh, Minnesota, one lady who you, some of you know, Pastor Lyndon Cornyn's wife, Linda, grew up in my hometown and grew up in the church where I attended. And, and when I was unsaved, I was in that church. Uh, Linda, if you know Linda, she is always bubbly for, for the Lord. And she was also always so joyful. And as a young person, as an unsaved man, I thought, why is she so joyful? I mean, it, it really irked me. It just, it bugged me. Like, why is this gal so joyful all the time? I didn't realize that it was Jesus who gave her that joy of the Lord. And I have to also say that Linda was a good salt of the earth. <laughs> she was a good light for Jesus and still is today because, because even though it bugged me to death that she was so joyful, yet deep down I wanted to have what she had I didn't realize it was Jesus. But she made me, made me thirsty to have what she had. And, and we ought to be living our lives in such a way, as believe, if we are believers here today, we ought to live our life in such a way that we would cause a thirst for the Lord. That we would have joy. There's a great difference between joy and happiness, by the way. I think joy only comes when you know Christ. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit, by the way. Remember the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5? Love, joy is the second one. And when you come to know Christ, He also gives you joy. No matter how, how bad your circumstances are, you can have joy in the Lord. So that's the second group. People who are saved and they know it, they have that full assurance The third group consists of those who are in a state of grace. They are saved, but they don't know it. They they lack assurance. Now, some Bible teachers and pastors would say if a person does not have assurance, that person is not saved. So is it possible for one to have salvation and not have assurance? Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember a young lady at Jewelmont Corporation when I was in Bible college. I went to work there, and I had an opportunity to share with her about my salvation, what the Lord had done in my life. And and she had went home that weekend, and I'm not sure what church she attends, but she went to some evangelistic meetings, and she gave her heart to the Lord. She asked the Lord to forgive her and come into her heart, And then she came back on Monday and she said to me, "Um, I think I'm saved, but I don't feel like it. And I said, well, you can't rest upon feelings. You have to rest upon the promises of God's word. Did you confess your sin? Did you repent of your sin? She said, yes. I said, well, on the basis of God's promise, he's forgiven you. And did you ask the Lord to come into your life? She said, yeah. I said, well, then the Lord has promised he will come in. And I said, whether you feel different or not, I said, feelings should be the last thing. Our faith must be upon the promises of God's word. And I have to say, too, that when I became saved, and I was encouraged to read through the book of 1 John, and that's what I started doing. And so if you have your Bibles open to 1 John, as I was reading this as a very young Christian, 
I came to 1 John chapter 3, verse 6. And my Bible, I think I was reading out of the King James at the time, it says, no one who abides in Jesus sins. <laughs> and, I, and I thought, well, maybe I'm not a Christian. Because I knew that within that week, I had, I had some simple thoughts. And, and I read that. It says, no one who abides in Jesus sins. I thought, well, then I must not be saved. I, I didn't understand it. And I'm so thankful for my youth group, because I was involved in a youth group that had other Christians. And that's where it's encouraging, friend. If you're not in a Bible study group, get into one. Because they helped me. I, I was struggling. You know, am I saved or am I not? And, and one of the more mature believers said to me, well, verse 6 means no one who abides in him practices sin. Do you want to sin? I said, no. I, I don't want to sin. I, I want to do what's pleasing to God. And they said, you are saved because before you're saved, you're one who practices sin. doesn't bother you. And I said, that makes sense because before I was saved, yeah, sin didn't bother me. But now I became saved and it was the Holy Spirit that convicted me that I was that I had done some, like a sinful thought. And so that reassured me that it doesn't mean that a, that a Christian won't ever sin. In fact, John writes too, verse, chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, he's writing this letter to Christians, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. But that gave me such great comfort. I believe one of the reasons why the Holy Spirit was, had inspired the Apostle John to write this letter that is directed to believers is so that we might know, that we might know that we have eternal life. His Gospel of John, when he writes that Gospel, um, it says that he wrote these things in chapter 20, verse 31. <clears throat> these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. So he's writing to people so that they might come to know him. But now in chapter 5 of 1 John, his epistle, he says, these things I've written to you who believe. To you who are Christians, I'm writing this to you. In order that, and here's the reason, that you may know that you have eternal life. If we have life, if we have Christ, we have life. You are saved and on the way to glory. And John wanted us to know for sure. Absolute assurance. So it is possible to have salvation and eternal life without assurance, but God wants us to have assurance as well. Faith can be defined as the reliance of a repentant soul on the grace of God in Christ for salvation. Assurance can be defined as the inner certainty resting on God's promises that one is saved. <clears throat> and then there's a fourth group. The fourth group consists of people who are unsaved, but who think they are saved. People who are unsaved, but who think they are saved. In other words, assurance 
without salvation. Is that possible? To have assurance without salvation? Well, there are some people who are very religious in our churches. They're faithful in their church attendance. They might be faithful to read the Bible. They rarely miss the Lord's Supper. They are hard workers in the church. But there are people like that that are not saved. They're resting upon their own works, the things that they do or don't do. They take it for granted that they shall escape hell and go to heaven someday. They have some kind of assurance that all is well with them, but it is a false assurance. I remember talking to a number of people when they are about to have an operation. I will then ask them, "Are are you right with God? Are you saved? And I've had many people say, well, yes, I'm saved. Um, what are you basing it on? What's your basis of your salvation? <clears throat> and it's a lot of times it's not, <clears throat> it's not Jesus. They're basing it on something else other than the finished work of Christ. And I said, um, you're not saved on the basis of Scripture. You're not saved. It's a false assurance. Now, do we see this in the Bible? Let me refer to one reference. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 and 23, Jesus said, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then Jesus said, Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So there will be people in the last day that think that they were saved, but they weren't. They had a false assurance, but they really didn't know Jesus. Perhaps the most striking example is the false assurance which is found in the congregation of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. In Revelation 3, verse 17, we read, Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, though they were in urgent need of repentance, it says in verse 19, and though they were in need of letting Christ into their heart, according to verse 20, Yet they were so confident that they needed nothing. And yet Jesus says, You do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked. Someone is deceiving them or they are deceiving themselves. And I think that's happening today too. Many people are being deceived by Satan or they are deceiving themselves. And I believe this is true of many in our churches today across our land. So how is it possible for unsaved people to be convinced that they are saved? In other words, assurance without salvation. Well, there can be a number of answers to this, but let me give you just two. I think they have a misunderstanding of either the terms of salvation or their own self-evaluation. And for the most part, the error that causes a false sense of security or false assurance 
comes from a false understanding of what it takes to be saved. In other words, what are you basing your salvation on? And that's why the Reformation was such a violent controversy. Martin Luther realized that the article upon which the church stands or falls and the article upon which you stand or fall is this question, how am I saved? How am I saved? How are you saved? In Luther's day, he proclaimed justification by faith alone. And the Catholic Church in Luther's day taught justification by faith plus good works. So which is it? I think it's very clear in the Bible it says whenever we add good works, we nullify God's grace. We can't be saved by good works. It is by faith alone in Jesus Christ. But sad to say, the dominant doctrine of justification in our culture today and in so many churches today is justification by death. Justification by death. In other words, all you need to do to get to heaven is die. <laughs> because people are assume, and they are being taught in many churches today, that everyone goes to heaven. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter who you believe in or what you believe in. We're all going to go to heaven. And so to go to heaven, all you need to do is die. And dear friend, uh, what we need, we need to die to self. <laughs> and need to put our faith in Jesus Christ. You know, everyone loves to quote John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now that's good news. Now, have you memorized verse 17? For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Now that's still good news. Now what about verse 19 or verse 18? Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. That's good news. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. You see, dear friend, if some people stand condemned according to God's word, then the worst assumption we can have is the idea that everyone is saved. That's an awful thing to tell someone that, well, we're all saved. That's not what God's word says. Jesus says if we don't believe in the name of the Son of God, we are condemned already. And then secondly, <clears throat> there are those who think that they are saved because... They think they are righteous enough to merit entrance into God's kingdom. I have to tell you, dear friend, that before I was saved, I really thought I was going to go to heaven because of my morality. I was very moral. In fact, most people that lived in my community probably would have said, Rodney Johnson is, is a Christian. Because I, I didn't smoke, I didn't drink, I didn't go to dances, I didn't, I didn't, uh, didn't do drugs. And... And I, the old saying, I didn't, I didn't date women who did. <laughs> I mean, I had good morals. And I thought, if anybody's going to go to heaven, it, it should be me. But I wasn't saved. I, I had no assurance of salvation. I didn't know the Lord. I didn't want to go to church, by the way. 
had these good morals, but I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to, I never read the Bible. I had a Bible, but didn't read it. I didn't want to pray. And yet I thought, I, I, I'm sure I, shall, I will go to heaven because of the things that I don't do, the things I did do. And I believe these people can be divided into two groups. First, there are those who think that they have been fully obedient to God's law. Now, I, I never thought I was fully obedient to God's law, but I thought, I, I, you know, I looked, I compared myself to other people, and I thought, I'm pretty good. Um, I'm better than so-and-so. I, I remember when I spoke about Bob Pritz? <laughs> you know, that put me in a good light. I thought, I am much better than Bob Pritz. So I certainly will go to heaven. You know, there's been a movement throughout church history that is still very much alive in our culture today, and that's called the perfectionist movement. And they are convinced that by a work of grace, a person can become truly perfect in this life. Luke 18, we have the account where a rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and he asks this question, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Obviously, this person was not saved. He did not have assurance. But Jesus begins to teach this ruler about the law, what the law is all about. And he recites some of the Ten Commandments. The young ruler's reply was, All of these I've kept from my youth up. Well, Jesus gets down to the heart of the matter. And he said to this young man, One thing you lack Sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven and then come follow me. But when this young ruler heard these things that Jesus spoke about, he was very sad for he was extremely rich. And the point that Jesus is making is not that it is mandatory for all Christians that they want to be saved. If they want to go to heaven, you need to get rid of all your worldly goods. That's not what Jesus is saying here. The ruler said, I've kept all the law from the time I was a little boy. So Jesus starts with the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. In essence, Jesus is saying, let's see if you keep the law. Money is your God. Get rid of it. You ever notice on your, on your dollars, it says in God we trust? I like that, but I think for many people it's in money we trust and not God. That money is becomes our God too. Well, this young man couldn't do it. And Jesus taught that the young man about something about God's holiness, what God's holiness requires. God demands perfection. God is holy. He demands holiness from his creatures. So if people think that they've achieved Perfection, they are in the worst of all forms of self-delusion. The only way to believe that that delusion is to lower God's standard, and that's exactly what we tend to do. Kind of like in school where they grade on a curve, we lower the standards. Yet we dare not do that. And that leads me to the second group. There are those who acknowledge that they aren't perfect. They know They know that they are sinners, but they assume that church attendance and church membership is a ticket to heaven. 
There are many people like this. I'm on, I want to ask you, have you ever wondered why church attendance swells at Easter and Christmas? You ever notice that? It happened every, every Easter, every Christmas. The attendance was, I mean, we had to put extra chairs up. Now, I call them CE, Christians, Christmas and Easter. My, great, my grandfather was one who only came to church on Easter and Christmas. <clears throat> but honestly, that's the only time that some come. <clears throat> my question is, why bother with just two out of 52 weeks? You ever wondered about that? Why do people do that? Why do they come just on Easter and Christmas? Now, don't, don't get me wrong, I'm glad they came. <laughs> I'm glad they came to hear God's Word, but why do people only come those two Sundays out of the year? Augustine said, quote, <clears throat> He who does not have the church for his mother does not have God for his father. You see, when Christ, when Christ redeems a person, he places us into the body of Christ called the church. And he opposes a new obligations, and that is to come together for worship with other believers. So when I became saved, I wanted to go to church. No one had to tell me, you have to go to church. I, I wanted to. My, God changed my whole attitude and my motive and desire. I wanted to hear about God. And the pastor, who I thought was as dry as dust before I was saved, <laughs> I, I all of a sudden, I couldn't get enough. That pastor who spoke, you know, half an hour or maybe 20 minutes, it, it seemed like five minutes. I said, is that it? I, I want more. I was so hungry for the word. The writer to Hebrews says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. How can a person who truly loves Christ persistently and repeatedly absent himself or herself from fellowship with Christians? And from worshiping the Lord. You see, we desperately need the church. Now, the church cannot save you. The church did not die on the cross for you. Only Christ can save you. So, we need the church. It's the body of Christ. But, dear friend, are you trusting Christ? Or are you banking on your church attendance? I've been talking about a false sense of assurance. We have to get it clear in our minds where our salvation is and from where it comes. Our assurance can only come when we trust in Christ alone for our justification. So what are you trusting in for eternal life? If you are trusting in your church attendance, you're in trouble. It's a false sense of assurance. If you're trusting in your own righteousness, <clears throat> you're in trouble. That's a false sense of assurance. In fact, Peter says, or Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, he says, More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but manure dung in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law 
but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Salvation comes from trusting in Christ alone. Therefore, we look not our own, at our own success or our own achievement. We look to Christ, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Yes, Satan will come and accuse the believer when he or she sins. The devil will say, look at what you did. Look at the sin you committed. God's not going to love you anymore. God's not going to forgive you. But Paul says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And when we confess our sins to God, we are assured on the basis of his word that he will forgive. So, dear friend, trust in Christ's finished work. That's where our assurance comes from. Rest in his promises like 1 John 1.9, 1 John 5.13, Revelation 3.20, John 1.12. Those are just a few of the promises. And also Paul says in Romans 8.16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Trusting Christ is the only way to be saved, the only way to have true assurance and to keep growing in his kingdom. So trust in him. Walk in the joy of your salvation. I go back to always Linda Cornyn. Here's a woman who exhibits that kind of joy that we all should have, the joy of knowing Christ. If you are trusting in anything or anyone other than Jesus Christ today, friend, you are building on sinking sand. You need to build your life on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful today, Lord, that the Word of God not only shows us how to be saved, but Lord, that as we are pointed to Jesus Christ, the one in whom we can be saved, the Word of God also gives us assurance. And I've met many people, Lord, who, some who are not saved and they know it, some are saved and they know it. They have that assurance. There are some who are saved but don't have assurance. They lack it. They need to be taken into God's promises. And then there are those who have assurance but they're not saved. I think there's a lot of people like that. That they're resting and building their hopes upon something other than Jesus and his finished work on the cross. And Lord, I pray today that each one here that we would come to you, Lord Jesus, that we would repent of our sins and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. And Lord, to rest upon your promise that you will save us and forgive us. Thank you, Lord, for that blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.